0: so good to be gathered together again. I missed last Sunday. Um, I did pop in for a little while, but Mitch preached on Revelation, did a great job right here. So thank you, Mitch, for always being willing to preach and always bringing us the word. Thank you, Mitch. Yes. So we're going to go from Revelation to Genesis. So we're going to kind of go in reverse order, I think, a little bit here. But I'm excited. We're starting a new series today um, on Genesis. If you want to open your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen as well. It's not too hard to find, just go to the first page, Uh, which is really not exactly true because you have all that preface stuff in most Bibles, but go to the first page of actual Bible text, uh, Genesis chapter 1. So as we start a new year, uh, I want to start a new series, and I want us to talk about beginnings. Beginnings. Uh, In fact, that's how Genesis, that's how the whole Bible starts, in the beginning. Um, And we're going to look at the first three chapters of Genesis over the next two months, Lord willing. Um, which it's only three chapters, but its weight, uh, its importance, is, can hardly be overestimated. Uh, its importance in understanding the entire Bible can hardly be overestimated. But more than that, every day of our lives, these three chapters, or the, the effect, the power, the truth behind these three chapters affects us, whether we recognize it or not what it says about creation. Here's the first thing. You're here. You're here rather than not existing. You never probably you know, ponder that every, all, the, all the time, but you exist rather than being nothing at all. God created the heavens and earth. He made something. So that affects you, certainly, but there's more to it. Our understanding of relationships, our responsibility of stewardship over the world, the nature of sin in our lives, the hope of grace in the future, what's told in these three chapters in the beginning of Genesis affects us every single day of our lives. And I think what we'll see is that the world that we live in is far more beautiful than you thought it was. And it is far more tragic than perhaps you imagined. Far more tragic. Our sin and what we have become is far more tragic than you have imagined, but the world we live in is far better than you probably thought as we start the new year, maybe you're someone who likes to make resolutions. Uh, you want to lose weight, get to the gym more often, or you can get your spending under control, or whatever your, your, your uh, resolutions. How about this one? To know the Bible more. <laughs> to know the Bible better. And so, what better way to start than at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1? God loves new things. He loves changes. He loves to start new things. In fact, he starts all of creation in these first three chapters. God began our world. And he cares for it. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1. Today we're only going to cover the first five, chap- five verses uh, of Genesis chapter 1. And some of this probably sounds somewhat from, uh, familiar. We read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. And we'll get to the other five days of creation next week, Lord willing. And then, of course, the seventh day of rest. And there's a lot more for us. Cover. There is an outline in your bulletin if you're someone who likes to follow along and likes to take notes. Feel free to look on with us there. But here's how we, he starts this entire Bible uh, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He starts off with in the beginning. And actually, in the beginning is only one word in the Hebrew, it's Bereshit, in the beginning. The beginning starts in the beginning. Our world had a beginning. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty obvious, Rick. Everything in this universe has to have some type of beginning. Actually, interestingly enough, scientists for a long time believed that the universe didn't have a beginning. It was an eternal thing that existed forever and ever. They've since kind of come around and believe, no, there had to have been a beginning, a singularity that sort of exploded, and that's where this universe came from. So... Interestingly enough, over centuries of study, they have came to believe what the Bible's been teaching all since the very beginning. (laughs) That there always had to be a beginning to the heavens and the earth. Uh, That also begs the question, if it has a beginning, does it have an end? Most things that have a beginning have an end. Uh, If something starts, it has to finish. And so before we even get to that later on, the very first verse of the very first chapter of the Bible tells us probably... There's an end to what has been made. And we read about that in Revelation, and Mitch already touched on some of it in Revelation 19. Uh, but there is a conclusion to this story, this true story of God's creation. We see here that in the beginning, God creates. God created all that is. Uh, God is the first person mentioned in the Bible. He is the protagonist of the Bible. He is the main Actor of the Bible. Uh, the story is primarily about him. I know we like to think that this whole universe is primarily about me, <laughs> about us as human beings. We want to sort of uh, inflate our importance in this universe. We are important. We'll see that from Genesis 1 later on and Genesis 2. Uh, but God is the main character of the scripture. He is the first one who appears in the Bible. And what does he do? Very, in the beginning, he creates. Interestingly enough, that word creates appears many times throughout the scriptures, uh, in the New and in the Old Testament, and in every case, God is the one who does it. So we like to talk about one of us creating something. I created a table to use for our dinner, or I created a beautiful painting, And but we really, when you think about it, you know, we didn't actually create those things. We took paints and stuck them onto a piece of paper. <laughs> Uh, We didn't create the paint. We didn't create the paper. We didn't create the universe in which all of these elements exist. Uh, We just made something of what already existed. God is the only one who actually creates. Uh, This universe was created not by some just energy force, not by a a little mammal like us with a three-pound brain. It was created by an all-powerful being, namely God. He creates what? He creates the heavens in the earth. He creates all that exists in this universe. When we see the word heavens, we might think uh, of the dwelling place of God, uh, but that's probably not what's meant here. Uh, Sometimes the word heaven is used to describe uh, the outer space, basically. You know, all the planets and the stars and all that exists in this universe outside of earth. Uh, This is just a a kind of a a simple way to go by. It doesn't always work. If there's an S at the end, it it probably refers to outer space. If there's no S, if it's heaven, it refers to the dwelling place of God. doesn't always work. There are places where heavens refers to God's dwelling place and heaven refers to the sky. But in general, it's a good uh, idea to look at it. This is referring to God as the creator of all things within this universe in which we exist. When was this? When did this happen? <laughs> when did God create this universe? Uh, well, we know that Genesis was written in the early second millennium B.C., So 2,000 years BC is about when Genesis was written, but that only describes when it was written down. Uh, It doesn't describe when it actually occurred. He's clearly described, Moses is clearly describing something that happened well before that. Uh, How much before that? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. It doesn't tell us in the text how long. Uh, We'll talk more about the days in scripture and what that's referring to, but when this act of creation itself occurred, we have no idea. Uh, science tells us it's 4.5 billion years. I have no reason to believe that's not true. There's nothing around but rocks. That's all that existed. I mean, just a bunch of rocks and light and all that stuff, that's all floating around space. Uh, how, how long ago this is, is really unimportant. There's no life in this universe to experience it, or enjoy it, or reckon time anyway. But God is the first actor in Scripture. Who is God? Uh, God, from we we learned in just this very first verse, is Elohim. Um, that's the common word used God, Actually, I think the best translation of Elohim is God. That's a good translation. Because God can be used for any, any of the gods of the nations or whatever. We capitalize it and, and make it almost like a proper name. Um, and I think that's what's going on here. Uh, this isn't the sort of relational name of God, which we sang earlier, Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, this is the general term for God. He's the creator of all things, Uh, There is no other God. There are no other gods. There is simply the one Elohim God. Uh, There's something right, I think, friends. There's something right about us thanking a creator for this universe and recognizing it as something beyond us. Uh, I think about how we are hosting an AA meeting, which I think is a great ministry for us to be involved in and helping people in dealing with some of the issues going on in our city. But one of the, one of the standards of, of AA is what? You have to recognize a higher power, right? Now, they say you don't have to be, we don't have to say that that's God, but you have to recognize there's something greater than yourself. And I think that's true of us, friends. We recognize that we're not the ultimate in this universe. There's something bigger, stronger, more powerful than ourselves. Where did God come from? <laughs> a common question people ask. Uh, if we say that the universe couldn't always exist because everything has to have a beginning, and you say, well, God made the universe. Then people's next question is, well, then where did he come from, right? So if everything has to be beginning and you're saying God made this universe, then uh, the problem with that is pretty simple. Uh, when we say everything has to have a beginning, we say everything in this universe, uh, according to our laws of physics, <laughs> according to the way things function in the world that we know and experience, everything has to have a beginning. Nobody Nobody claims that God is confined within this universe. (laughs) Our understanding of God is that he is not part of the physical laws of this universe. Something outside of our world had to set it into motion. And that someone is God. Just from verse 1, what do we learn? That he's powerful. (laughs) He's able to create. That he's intelligent. Looking at the universe, you can see there is design to it. That he's outward focused. Uh, If he didn't care about anything but himself, he wouldn't make anything else. He would just exist forever and for eternity by himself. There's something about him that's outward. Uh, The old saying goes, where does missions begin in the Bible? Where's the first mission? The first missionary we see in the Bible is Genesis 1-1. God already outward looking, even as he calls us to be as well. Friends, when you think of this, this one verse, what it tells us about God really is pretty stark in contrast to a number of other views. Uh, Of course, one of the major other views is atheism, (laughs) that there is no God, uh, that there is nothing out there but what we see, uh, that this physical universe is all there is to it. Big problems with that. Where did it come from? How did it get here? How could it always exist? That goes against everything we know about nature itself. Then there's the idea of pantheism, um, which is that God is his creation. Uh, The the, the world that we live in is God, that we're God. If you want to know God, look inward to yourself, and then you'll know God. This stands in pretty stark contrast to that view as well. You say, that sounds crazy. That's a pretty common view nowadays. We are God. Everything is God. You're part of an energy source that is God. In distinction from that, what do we read here? God is separate, holy, different from all that he made. In fact, all of his creation is just like a piece of artwork that he has put together. Probably the most common view that's different from this around the time this was written was polytheism, that there are many other gods as well. And uh, just to show you how amazing this story is and what it tells us about how we got here, here's a a pretty common uh, other view of God that we find um, in that same time. It's from the Babylonian myth. I have a picture of it. I think Josh can throw that up there. And uh, this Babylonian myth uh, is called Anuma Elish. Uh, The Babylonian believed that the key god was a guy named, or a being named, Marduk. Um, I don't want to offend anyone here. Are there any worshippers of Marduk here? No. All right, good. So no one's going to be offended by this. All right. Well, Marduk kills a monster, a giant monster, female monster named Tiamat, and through her guts, creates all the other gods. And then through her body, her, her, uh, her ribcage, gets torn into two. Half of it becomes the heavens and half of it becomes the earth. That's where we came from. And her weeping tears become the Tigris and the Euphrates River and her tail becomes the Milky Way. <laughs> so that was the kind of common belief of where the universe came from at that time. How different we have here in the Bible where there is an all-powerful and good creator who's made us. Just from verse 1, what do we learn? We learn that there's a purpose to what exists. Uh, This is not an accident. When you look around this universe, this world we live in, it's not an accident. There is an intentionality to why we're here. Uh, It's been said that the two best days of your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. (laughs) Maybe that's this day for you. You were created by a good, perfect God to know him and to love him and to glorify Him and be in relationship with Him. If there's a creator, there's a purpose, He made it for a reason. There's value. Uh, if someone took the time and the energy and the labor to make this universe, He sees it as valuable. There's a, there's a certain value to this universe. It's not here for no reason. It's not useless. It's not empty. It has value. God puts value on it by the fact that He is its creator. There's relationship. We're not alone. I think I asked this question before. How many people think there are aliens out there? And I'll just just say, I don't think the Bible tells us. I'm surprised not seeing more hands. That's a handful. Uh, There might be, there might not be. But I can tell you this, we're not alone. Because God, our creator, made us, and he loves us. We are distinct from him, and we owe him a loyalty, but we are not alone. And we can know this God. If he's our creator and we are his creation, there is a relationship there. And what we learn from God from the whole of scripture, of course, is a lot more than we learn just here, that he's good, and he's loving, and he's moral, and he's holy. Verse 2, what do we see? That God oversees everything. He oversees everything. He created everything, and he oversees everything. Uh, It starts off here, the earth was without form and void, which in the Hebrew is tohu v'bohu. Everybody say that with me. Tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu. I love saying that. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Tohu vabohu. Tohu means chaotic, and uh, uh, vabohu never appears in the Bible except with tohu, so it's always tohu vabohu, which again I love to say. So, the world was formless and void, and it's full of nothing but darkness at this point in time. It has no atmosphere. It has nothing that allows light within it. It is a place filled with darkness and covered, as we learn, with water. But we get this very important truth in the end of verse 2, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And the question is, who is this? Who is the Spirit of God? Is he God? Is he distinct from God? I mean, do you have multiple persons that describe who God is? I mean, who is the Spirit? You said God created, now the Spirit of God hovers. Who is this Spirit of God? And of course, we learn more about that from the whole of Scripture, but the question is asked right here in the very beginning of the Bible in 2. But this idea of him hovering over the waters, as most commentators would mention, gives the impression of a hen, a mother hen, sort of overseeing a nest, uh, taking care of it, being present with this nest. Uh, The Holy Spirit's role in relation to creation is to be the very presence of God with us. He's not absent. He's not different. He oversees what he's made. Now, there's an old view called the clockmaker God. God sets, creates the world like a clock. He winds it up, and he leaves it to be, and then whenever it ends, it ends. Uh, That's not the picture we get in scripture. We have a God who is definitely, deeply, intimately involved with what he has made. He's bringing order out of the chaos, out of the tohu vabohu. He's bringing something good. He's creating a world that is fitting for us as human beings. I'll just mention quickly for those who are interested, this is where you get, some people throw in the gap theory. Uh, so what happened between verse one and two? Where do we get this chaotic world? Some people say this is where the fall of Satan comes in and the angels. Some people say this is where the dinosaurs existed. Uh, my, my theory is pretty simple. If the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it, Neither do I. <laughs> I mean, if, if the Bible has a gap, uh, then I'm not going to fill the gap with my own weak knowledge. I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, we have here a, a length of time in which the world is filled with nothing but chaos and disorder until God brings order out of what he has made. We see here God acts as a sort of helicopter parent. Everybody know what a helicopter parent is? Uh, it, it's, it's, used, it's not used very positively, but it's a, basically a parent who can't who can't leave their kid alone. They're just constantly like a helicopter. I have a picture of a helicopter floating over the water. Kind of like that. So here's a, here's a parent who just, if their kid falls and scrapes their knee, they just run right over and they pick them right up, right? If every, after have to oversee every sporting event and, and every club that they're involved in. And, and a helicopter parent just has to make sure that they're in control of everything that their kid does. Well, that's not a good style of parenting. But that's a good style of being God. <laughs> Because here's what we see about the Holy Spirit, that he hovers over the waters, taking care of all that he has made. God cares about his creation. He loves his creation. He oversees it. God actually cares about this world. Now, here we get, start to see how special this creation really is. You know, any artist probably has multiple drafts of what they've made, and those drafts end up in the trash heap. But if they actually do create a masterpiece, they stand with it. They stand by it. They put their signature upon it. God loves this creation. He stands by it. He doesn't need drafts because he's perfect. And he cares about us. Now, just say, friends, if God cares about his creation by application, we should too. Uh, This world is our home. This is our Father's house, as the great hymn went. We should... Get out and see it, for one thing. <laughs> it's a beautiful creation. We'll talk more about the beauty of creation in upcoming sermons, Lord willing. But see this world. And especially if you're younger here, get out and travel and see this world. I remember last, it was last um, last uh, New Year's, I sat down, I was awake at 3 o'clock in the morning and I couldn't uh, really sleep, so i had been to to th- think about all the opportunities of seeing this world God has given me. I just came up with this, this short list of some of the things. Uh, walking on the Glaciers off the coast of Alaska. Beautiful, nothing like it. Snorkeling in the ocean of Cancun in Mexico and seeing the variety of fish. Drinking, this one happened recently, I had to add this one drinking Turkish coffee in a cafe in Istanbul. The the Turks love their coffee, even uh, uh, actually, at one point, it was outlawed by the head. Of, uh, of Turkey, and there was such an outrage by the people that he allowed them to return to drinking their Turkish coffee. That's how much they love their Turkish coffee. Seeing the skies open to the Himalayas at a Tibetan refugee camp. Uh, riding an unhappy elephant in Chitwan National Park that tried to throw us off. Eating key lime pie on the streets of Key West after driving all through the Florida Keys. Roping a bull, quote-unquote, in Cowtown in Kansas. It wasn't a real bull. It was just this wooden thing that you had to rope. And I roped it. Trekking in the rain in Sarangkot, Nepal. Wading in the Atlantic Ocean in the early morning with a school of stripers swimming by me as the sun rises. Getting soaked by the mist of Niagara Falls in a ferry. Some of you guys have done that. I know you have. Driving a Jeep around Martha's Vineyard with the kids in the back seat. And what a beautiful world God has given us. Get out and see it. <laughs> he made it, and he made it good. And take good care of it. Uh, taking care of the world that we live in, that's not a, that's not a liberal thing or a thing. That's a Christian mandate. That is something that Christians are supposed to do. Love and care for the world, and love it as home. The picture in Scripture is not that this world is useless and empty and nothing. We should just forget it. The picture in Scripture is a new heavens and a new earth, a renewed earth, in which this is our home forever in resurrected bodies. We're part of this world. God cares for us and he loves us. And this is the world he's made for us. Verse 3, God speaks over everything. God speaks over everything. Look at verse 3. We read, and God said... Stop and think about that for just a second. God said. Uh, God has no tongue. Uh, he has no lips. Uh, he has no mouth to say. And yet God chooses to speak. He wills to speak. He wants to be revealed by what he communicates to us through words. Uh, it tells us, of course, that God is not just a force. Uh, he is an intelligent being who can be known in relationship. God says, What? Let there be light. Uh, That's the very first thing He creates through speech over this world that He has made. And I love what it says. God creates, God uh, God says, Let there be light, and there was light. (laughs) So God doesn't have to do anything other than speak, and then it happens. And by the way, uh, we don't have that power. Uh, We don't have the power of ex nihilo. So. Despite what you might hear from the prosperity teachers on TBN, that you just speak to your wallet and it'll be full, (laughs) speak to your bank account and it'll be all of a sudden increased. No, this is something that God alone possesses. God can speak things into being that are not. We don't have that power. Just like we don't have the power to speak eternal life into our own lives, it comes from God or the word of God. God communicates with words. If you think about it, language itself is a miracle. Uh, we, can, we can encapsulate deep, profound ideas. Think of philosophies that have been written or history that has been written all through words. I think the only beings in the universe that use words, at least to any degree, anything close to what we do, are human beings. God then separates the light from the darkness, creates day and night. Again, Lord willing, we'll talk more about that next week, evening and morning. And why does he do it? He does it for us. Again, God is in the process of making a world that is fitting for human beings like us. God is a speaking God. Uh, which we saw in chapter 1. God is the creator. The father of all. Verse 2. The spirit of God. The presence of God that hovers over the waters. And what do we have in verse 3? The word of God. A speaking God. Not the spirit of God that hovers. Not the just uh, in verse 1. The creator. But here a God whose word reveals himself. So, What do we read? In the New Testament about who Jesus is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word of God is the revelation. God wants to be known by us. His creation is meant to experience Him. My friends, of course, we have the Bible. The Bible is the more precise Word of God. Uh, We can understand God to some degree through what He has made, and we should study it and know it and learn from it. But his word tells us more directly, more clearly who he is, which is why the Gideon's ministry is so important. Uh, Their desire is to get the Bible into somebody's hand, to make sure somebody has the Bible. Now, what they do with it, like we saw in the video there, they can stick it back in the drawer and not touch it, or they can read it and read what it says about who God is. Friends, I I would wonder if your, your best New Year's resolution, as I said, would be to read and know the Bible. Start it. This is a good time to, to get into a reading plan that maybe gets through the Bible in a year or through most of the Bible in a year. And when you think about it, if God is our creator, we're made in his image, we're made to know him. Uh, it's kind of like uh, batteries. I mean, um, if you've if you got little kids, you've probably bought toys that need batteries. And batteries are pain because batteries run out and then you have to change the batteries and add new ones. And especially if you have like an Xbox or a PlayStation. You're constantly changing those batteries, right? They, they, they last a few, like a week, and then you've got to change them to new ones. But if you have something that plugs into the wall, you don't have to worry about the batteries. Uh, friends, I think some, some of us, that's us. We're trying to run on batteries, on our own little strength and ability, instead of turning into the one who has created us in his image to know him and enjoy him. Just briefly here, does this fit science? Does this fit science, what we just read? Uh, I, I spoke to somebody who used to attend here and no longer does, and he was very open. I bumped into him at a store, and he said to me, you know, I really like you, Rick. So I'm glad he said that. That was nice of him. <laughs> he said, but I'm more of a science guy. I'm not, I'm not really into religion, so I, that's, why I don't, that's why I don't go anymore. And I thought, what a false dichotomy. What a, what a way of taking two things that are both good and making, setting one against the other. Um, Does this fit exactly what we understand from science today? Uh, We don't know. Uh, I I was talking to a PhD in engineering, and he said, let me just tell you this, Rick. Uh, A lot of it, what we learn, what people assume to be true in science, they really don't know. It's just their best guess. Uh, It's what we know now. It constantly changes. Um, There are certain fundamental beliefs, it's called epistemology, that they base all their beliefs on, and that changes constantly. Uh, So... You know, some of it is probably really true, but I think what we see in the Bible here is a lot more humility. Uh, it doesn't give us all the specifics of how God made things and knit things together and, and all of that. It just tells us the basics of what we need to understand, that there's a creator who is good, who's made all things. But certainly even the, the basics of what we read here do sit fit what we read in modern science. Uh, that there was a beginning, as we already said that, uh, that there was no atmosphere in the beginning, that it was a watered earth entirely with no life and no light, Um, and that eventually (laughs) light enters the world, and after that comes life. So that certainly seems to fit. And I would say this, I'm not a science guy, I'm not a a scientist, I don't have a background in science, uh, but what we certainly know about the Christian faith is that Christianity gave rise to science, Uh, The two had never been sort of against each other until more recently. In fact, the greatest scientists of all of history uh, were devout Christians. I came across this great quote by a guy named Neil Postman. He's since passed away, but he's a sort of cultural commentator. Uh, And I have the quote up on the screen. This is what he said. He said, uh, here we go, Copernicus, Kepler, and Galileo believed in a God who had planned and designed the whole of creation a God who was a master mathematician. Their search for the mathematical laws of nature was fundamentally a religious quest. Nature was God's text, and Galileo found that God's alphabet consisted of triangles, quadrangles, circles, spheres, cones, pyramids, and other mathematical figures. Kepler agreed, and even boasted that God, the author, had to wait 6,000 years for his first reader, Kepler himself, As for Newton, he spent most of his later years trying to compute the generations since Adam, his faith in Scripture being unshaken. Even today, many great scientists are believers. I think of the president of the National Institute of Health, uh, who oversaw the Human Genome Project, uh, Francis Collins, devout evangelical Christian. Does that mean that all Christians, I mean all scientists, are automatically led to believe in God? Certainly not. But it does mean there is absolutely no contradiction Between the two. In fact, what has led to the whole scientific age was the spread of the gospel, the spread of Christianity after the Reformation. God started our world and He cares for it. Friends, all throughout Scripture, this picture of creation is used like an analogy, Uh, it's used as a metaphor for our own lives. That your world and my world outside of Christ is a world of chaos. It's a world of tofu, tohu, tofu. A world of tofu might not be too bad, I don't know. Tohu bavohu. it's a world of, that is formless and void. It is a world that is overcast by darkness. The darkness of sin. The darkness of not knowing our creator and being at enmity with him. And into that world, God steps in and brings order and brings light. Friends, I wonder if that's your situation here today. Um, Maybe that's what you're thinking. My life has become full of chaos and disorder. My life has been overshadowed with the darkness of sin. I want you to know, we're going to get ahead of ourselves here from Genesis 1, but God loves his creation enough to send his son into this world. And his son who lays down his life for you, for me, on the cross, brings true order, brings us back into the reason we were made to begin with, the purpose why we exist, and brings the light of the gospel that saves and forgives. God loves new beginnings. He started one here, 4.5 billion years ago, whatever it was, he started something new. And he's been doing it ever since in the lives of those who turn by faith to his son. Pray with me. Well, our gracious God, we thank you that we can address you in relationship with you as creator. Thank you for your word, Lord, which has spoken to your people since the beginning of human history, Lord, and has told us this story, 2,000 years BC, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Lord, I do, I do pray for those here, perhaps this morning, who look at their life and see chaos and see darkness. Help them to know that there is a creator, there is a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them enough that he would send his own son to this world who would pay the penalty for sin in their place so that that chaos could become ordered. And that darkness, the darkness of sin, which every Christian here has felt, it's weighed In its pain, that darkness could become light in him. So Lord, remind us afresh of the greatness of our God, of who you are, and of your love for us as your creation, as you bring glory to yourself. Be with this new year, Lord. Let it be a new beginning for those who are here, as well as we seek to know you more. Let it be a new beginning for our church as we seek to be faithful in ministering for another year, the 255th year, I believe, of our church's history, and seek to bring you glory through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.